Amen. Amen. Yes. When we uh, started this campaign, we thought 42,000 would be a stretch given the economy, given where people are at. We've already, you know, had a number of things having people give to uh, all sorts of different ministries uh, servicing the poor, but we thought we should go for it. And once again, you guys have just stepped up. Um, you know, the first couple of weeks there, we're wondering, you know, that, that little green line was kind of small and we had a big circle to cover, but the last two weeks have just been outstanding, spectacular. And uh, we've seen God working in this from the very beginning. I, I, I think you sense the momentum on this. There's a lot of momentum on this. God's, God's moving in some cool ways. I mean, we've had uh, uh, over 100 volunteers uh, gutting that place, some of them working very, very long hours. Uh, we've had uh, professional painters who've donated several days to uh, paint the, the, the inside. We've had most of the paint donated uh, for free. Uh, we've got the chairs, uh, all new chairs. Uh, they're not new, but they're, they're new for us. But they're really top, tip-top shape. But we got them out of steel, like $10 a piece. They normally go for $150 a piece. Uh, and and it was just, these doors have been opening up, and it's just been beautiful and incredible. Um, and uh, just the way folks have sacrificially given to this has been outstanding. That $10,000 matching gift that came in uh, helped make this possible. So uh, thanks so much for what you've been doing. I feel honored to be part of a congregation where we are together learning how to be Christ-like and how to sacrifice. Amen. And you know, the thing is, it's, it's uh, not, it's, it, you know, we want to be servicing the community uh, with, with these quality movies and stuff, but uh, even beyond that, I, I want us to all just be... Um, Catching the vision for these kids who are at risk, some in gangs and stuff, getting off the street and getting job opportunities and coming in contact with the kingdom, you know? Uh, and the kingdom is contagious. Uh, you come in contact with it for very long, uh, some of these kids are going to catch some of that. And then we have this prison ministry, you know, folks who would never, coming out of prison, wouldn't want anything to do with the church in a thousand years, but they'll go to a movie theater. So we're just going to bring the church to the theater. What do you say? And, uh, and, and minister to them that way. And a lot of other ministry opportunities we have here. So this, uh, this new opportunity we have, we're going to just keep the ball rolling. Um, this person has, is able to get these uh, digital uh, cameras and project projectors that we need to get soon anyways because they're all transitioning to this digital format. Uh, and we can get these saving tens of thousands of dollars uh, and have it installed for free. And so we're just going to keep this going. Um, the new goal is now for another $30,000. Our job is just to make known the need and trust that God will be working in people's hearts and people respond to that. So just keep praying about this and um, that will really help offset the cost of these digital computers. But uh, thanks for, for all you've been doing. It's, it's, it's great. So uh, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm a teaching pastor here at Wilton Hills Church. Very good to see all of you this morning. We're in this series on about waking up to some of the antichrist elements of the air that we breathe of the, the culture that we are in, the water that we swim in. And more specifically, we've been looking at the antichrist dimension of consumerism. Capitalism is a great and efficient economic system if your goal is to, is to make wealth. It works. But kingdom people have to be paranoid, suspicious of uh, our normal and to be able to see, detect the diabolical aspects of, of everything in the culture that maybe is accepted as normal by others, but we see how it pushes in anti-kingdom anti anti ways. And um, that is the, really the greatest threat that we're up against. It's not an enemy that you can identify that's the greatest threat. You can prepare for that, you can fight that. But what is, feels normal to us, well, we, we're not even aware that it's, it's off. Uh, and so we don't prepare for it, we don't fight it, we, we'd rather just accept it. So this is about waking up to that. So this message is entitled, The Choke. Because we're going to see that there's an aspect of this whole thing that chokes 
the kingdom life right out of us. The choke. I want to open with a word of prayer here. Father, I thank you for your spirit here this morning. Um, just powerful. Uh, and just for the way you're forming us to be a people who uh, know how to bleed with joy in love for others. Continue that work in us, individually and collectively. Continue that work. I pray, God, for our pod congregation, our pod parishioners, uh, whatever they're doing right now, I pray, Lord, that you move in their hearts and minds to attend to this message. And for everyone in this auditorium, Holy Spirit, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word, uh, to let it transform us, to let down our defenses, uh, let it turn our world upside down if need be, that we may put on display Abba Father's character in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we had a, uh, we have this pod congregation, uh, most of you know about this, 10 to 15,000 people each week download our messages. So we call them our pod congregation, our, 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 our pod parishioners. And um, two of our pod parishioners, Kurt and Heidi Goebel out in California, have been listening to us for some time. And they responded to last week's message by writing us a letter uh, telling us about their story, how they were once miserably wealthy and decided to become happily poor. And, um, yeah, how that made all the difference in the world to them. And then they made this little video that they shared with us, and I wanted to share it with you. It really captures, I think, uh, kind of the diabolical aspect of the trap of consumerism. So let's watch this video by Kurt and Heidi. Do I want free shipping? Why, yes, I do. <laughs> Good news, baby. The new TV is on its way. Merry Christmas to me. Okay, remind me, why do we need a new TV? Because... Once we get the kids their new video game system, uh, the old one's not going to have enough inputs. And why do the kids need a third video game system? Well, because if we're going to get this new TV with all these new features and all these new inputs, then shouldn't we use them all? I mean, it's just good stewardship, really. Mm, okay, but nine speakers. Why do we need nine speakers? We have so many. Why Can't we just turn up the ones we already have? Oh, baby, you're so cute. Listen, 7.2 is the new standard in audio. 18 months from now, you won't even be able to find media that's optimized for our current system. It just seems like we're spending a lot of money on Christmas this year. We are spending a lot of money on Christmas this year. I mean, God gave us his best, right? Shouldn't we do the same for one another? Besides, we're racking up so many credit card points, I think we're actually gonna make money on our trip to Belize. I don't know. Do I need to remind you about your brand new dining room table in there? Well, uh, that was different. I mean, I, we couldn't keep the old table. It clashed with my new floors. Yeah, that's why we got you that brand new gorgeous Persian rug to go under it and, and tie the room together. Right, that beautiful Persian rug under that beat up old kitchen table. I mean, that was just wrong. And I'm pretty sure that when Jesus said, do not put new wine in old wineskins, this is exactly the kind of thing that he was talking about. Hey, hey what's up, buddy? Why isn't baby Jesus up on the shelf? Well, you know, there's really no room for baby Jesus up on the shelf. My surround sound speakers are going up there. I mean, you don't want to have to play your video games in old 5.1 surround forever, do you? No. No, it's not 2010 anymore, is it? <laughs> no, all right, so I want you to go ahead and take baby Jesus back out to the garage. Maybe we'll find a place for him next year, okay? Okay. All right, so cute. <laughs> Did you hear what you just said to our son? Yeah, about the 5.1 surround. See, he gets no, it. No, you said there's no room for Jesus this year. I said that? You totally just said that. Wow. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah. We need, we need a, a new bookshelf. bookshelf. All right. Yeah, go to ID. 
job, Kurt Heidi. <laughs> yeah, it's too clever. <laughs> that little kid is so cute. No, I, 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 I don't want to do that. I, I want the new speakers. Uh, it's too cute. It really captures how easy it is to get caught up in, in the trap. Uh, the cycle, the circular reasoning. You, know, you need a t- new TV to handle the, the new Xbox. You need a new Xbox to justify the TV. And it just kind of goes around and around. We're influenced by this mindset that just conditions the questions we ask, the way we assess things, the way we assess solutions. Um, it conditions us and moves us in ways that are directly contrary to the kingdom. That's why I called it uh, Antichrist. It's anti uh, stand, what it is to stand for Christ. We're conditioned to live with this perpetual discontentment. Constantly have a sense of need. We confuse our, our dreams and wishes for needs. We, we, we learn to identify them as, and experience them as needs. We've got to have this. Um, and so we're always looking for the newer and the better and the bigger and the brighter and the faster and the shinier and all the rest. Constantly chasing after stuff. Uh, and if we're not careful, it can, as this video brilliantly demonstrates, it can put Jesus out in the garage. So that all of our time and all of our resources are spent chasing after stuff, keeping up with the new and improved. And Jesus becomes a little footnote to our life, something maybe we think about on the weekends or a little bit just before we go to bed or something like that. And so we're no longer seeking first the kingdom of God, but we're seeking first the new and the improved and the best and the brightest. And it seems, and this is the trap, the more we get, the more we need. The more we spend, the more we need to spend. Uh, it, It promises fulfillment, but it never delivers. What it delivers is more hunger. And so we just get caught up in this loop. You, uh, you need a new table. The table's kind of old and whatever, so you get the new table. It doesn't go with the floor, so you get a nice rug uh, to go in between. But the, that, that, that nice Persian rug, uh, well, you know, the old vacuum cleaner, the old dated vacuum cleaner just doesn't uh, work on that kind of a rug, so you've got to get a new vacuum cleaner. That new vacuum cleaner sucks up more energy than the old one, so you keep on popping the circuit breaker, which is an annoyance. So now you've got to get a new circuit box to handle the new vacuum cleaner. Well, if you're going to redo the circuit box, you might as well you have to redo the whole wall. And you, that, 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 that little room down there has been a trash bin anyways. You've been talking about turning into a useful space. So if you're going to redo the wall, you might as well do the, redo the whole room. And so you're going to renovate that whole thing. But then if you renovate that room, well, it's going to clash with the rest of the basement. And you've talked about what a nice idea would be to have a basement where the kids could actually play and how nice it would be to have a nice sofa there and blah, 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 blah. So why not redo the whole basement if you're going to redo the room to handle the circuit bringer, to handle the vacuum cleaner, to handle the rug that holds the table. Uh, but then you've got to take out a second mortgage to handle that, that payment, which means sooner or later you've got to take out a second job to pay off the second mortgage, which means you're spending less time with your wife and kids, and the kids start to resent you, the wife gets ticked off at you, you finally blow up the whole family, it's all because of the stupid table. You see, it's a rat race. We're, uh, we're, we're, we're rats on a, a treadmill chasing the elusive cheese of the American dream. Okay, that's a little extreme, mind you, but it gets the point across. And then there's an extra price that we pay for the stuff that we acquire. The nicer the stuff, the more you've got to think about it, worry about it, care for it, protect it. Uh, it's just the way it is. Um, and, and there's a price tag that can happen if we're not careful. Uh, what price are we paying for things that's not financial, but we pay for, pay for it in terms of our anxiety level? our concern, our worry, our time. It's like this guy that I met a number of years ago when I taught full-time at Bethel. Pulled in this parking lot, got out of my car, and I was driving this old beater jalopy, and the car next to me was this very souped-up luxury car. I get out, and this guy then gets out of his car and throws a complete, a complete tantrum uh, right out of toddler school. He, he, he comes over to me, and he goes, I knew it. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I said to myself, he's going to nick my car, he's going to click my car, he's going to get out of it, he's not going to be careful, he's going to nick my car, and you did, you did, you did, you nicked my car. I said, 
sir, calm down. I did not nick your car. And I didn't, you guys. I was so careful because when I drove in there, it was a small space and, and it was the only space available. But he was already taking up some of my space. He was over the line. So really, it's his fault even if I did nick his car, but I didn't. So I was very, I noticed it was a real nice car. And so I was very careful getting in there. And then when I drove in, I looked over and I saw this guy. He was sitting in the car doing, I don't know what, but he's staring at me with his eyes. And I thought, this guy of unsurpassable worth, it, it looks rather anal and angry and I'm going to be very careful. He was just staring me down. So I got out of there so carefully. It was just, you know, you know the little butt fit, you know, you just squeeze out. And... Very careful. Got grabbed my, my books very carefully. So I did not nick his car, but he had a conniption. And then when he finally settles down, we decided to check it out. And he had one of those little rubber protector devices around his nice souped-up luxury car. And uh, on the door, uh, where the rubber coating was, there was, if you look very, very closely, a white dot. And he looked at that white dot. He goes, see, 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 there it is. That's the mark of your car. You nicked my car. Well, I got down there and looked very carefully. And it was white, and my car was white. But it wasn't the same shade. So I tried to show him, sir, that's not. And then I just attested. I opened up my door, and it didn't, it, it was, it, it didn't match up where the nick was. <laughs> Mr. Maturity here. Well, you know, you don't win those kind of battles anyways, but I, I was just thinking to myself, how sad, how sad, sad that this guy, he thinks he owns this car, but this car owns him. And he's acting like some scared little servant protecting his God, his master. Do not nick my master. My master will get very mad at you. Um, and he, he's owned by this. And how sad that a, a dot, even if I did cause the dot, it's a microscopic dot. How sad that a dot could, could, could undermine the quality of your life, even for 10 minutes. We're going to waste 10 minutes of our short life talking about this. It's not worth it. And then I thought, I wonder how much this guy pays for this car, not financially, but in terms of his worries and concerns. If he gets this nutso over a potential dot uh, that, that he thinks I caused, how much anxiety and stress must he have when, when he drives into a parking lot, when, when he's you know, out on the street? Um, what's it costing him? He thinks that this thing is giving him some life, but in fact, it's choking the life right out of him. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice car if God allows you to have it and with wanting to take care of it. That's not the point. The point is that as kingdom people, we've got to be aware of what, is, what are the other ways that we're paying for this stuff. Now, maybe we think we own, but in fact, it owns us. And it's exacting a price. How much anxiety do we have over this? As kingdom people, we need to be aware of the, 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 the true cost of, of things. It reminded me of a parable that Jesus told of the farmer who went out and sowed these seeds. And some fell on dry ground and the birds ate it. And some fell on rocky ground and it couldn't take any, any rooting, so it just dries up. And some fell on the thorns and the thorns choked the seed. And some fell on the fertile ground and it, it, it yielded some fruit. And then he explained the parable to his disciples this way. He said, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the, the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one, that's Satan, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path, the dry ground. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Yay, Jesus. But since they have no root, it just doesn't go deep in them. It, it lasts only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. It just never got on the inside. It didn't take root. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, that's the word apate, we get the word appetite from it, the, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. Subnego uh, means uh, uh, to strain breathing uh, caused by something, a, strain, a gasping for air. There's something that chokes that, that, that word. And what chokes it is the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. Uh, here's the thing is when we surrender to Jesus, when a person genuinely submits to Jesus, uh, the word is sown in him like a seed. It's, it's the word of the kingdom of God, the good news, the reign of God. And in that seed is, is contained the character of God. In that seed, you're born from above, Jesus says. You really become a child of Abba Father. You're born from above. You have a new DNA in you. That's the seed of the kingdom. And in that seed is the character of Abba Father inside of you. In that seed is the fullness of God's life, his eternal life, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his peace, the fullness of his love. Uh, in that seed is everything that you were ever really truly long for. It's all right there in that seed. A kingdom person doesn't have to go anywhere or achieve anything or accomplish anything to get something to, to have fullness of life and to be okay with God. You have it all up front, right there in that seed, that mustard seed of the kingdom. And if we cultivate that seed and grow that seed, it will transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It will transform the way we think of God and the way we see ourselves and the way we see others and the way we see the world. Uh, it, it will prepare us and make us compatible for the eternal kingdom that's coming. If we cultivate that seed, we will increasingly share God's priorities and God's values and God's heart for people. If we cultivate that seed, our life will increasingly manifest the fullness of God's joy and love and peace. We'll put on display the character of Abba Father. We never achieve anything in this kingdom. We don't work it out by ethically trying hard. It's rather a matter of letting what is already present in us, the power of God's spirit, to be manifested. The whole business of the Christian life is becoming who you already are because the seed is given to you up front. But what this parable is telling us is that, that, that the growth of that seed is not inevitable. It doesn't happen on autopilot. There are things that can suppress the seed, eat up the seed, kill the seed, choke the seed, destroy the seed. And the one that I think should concern us the most, here in the context of America at least, is the seed that fell among the thorns. Uh, and because it fell among these thorns, it, it, uh, as it starts to grow, the thorns choke it, suffocate it. So it cannot bear any fruit. The seed is there, it just doesn't bear any fruit. And as I look at the church in America today, that's largely what I see. Is, is there's a lot of people who say yes to the kingdom. So studies show that over 80% of all Americans say yes when asked, are you, are you a Christian? But the same studies show that for three quarters of them, a little more than that actually, uh, if you ask what does it do in your life, what difference does it make in your life, the answer is pretty much nothing. They say yes to the kingdom, but there's no fruit there. There's no transformation. There, it, it, there's no Christ-likeness that's formed in them. The way they think about the poor, the way they think about their life, the, what they do with their time and their money, the way they think about violence, it's exactly the same as it would be if they didn't say yes to the kingdom. That's evidence of, of, of a seed being choked. And the thing that's choking it, folks, is the concerns of this world, the worries of this world. You nicked my car, uh, and the deceptiveness of wealth. And the two go hand in hand. Where we're deceived by wealth, uh, we're going to be occupied with the worries of this world. Um, the two go hand in hand. Now note there 
that it's the deceptiveness of wealth that chokes the seed of the kingdom. It's not wealth itself that chokes it, it's the deceptiveness of wealth. The New Testament uh, gives a lot of warnings about riches, a lot of them. But it doesn't condemn the rich for being rich. Paul said it's the love of money that is the root of all, all evil. It's not just having money that's evil, it's, it's, it's the love of money. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy to instruct those who are, are wealthy in this world to give thanks to God and recognize that it all comes from him and it all belongs to him and to be generous towards others. He doesn't tell Timothy to condemn them for being wealthy. And I've read of, of, of folks who are very wealthy, millionaires, even billionaires, but who live on 1% to 2% of their income and the rest is given away to the kingdom or to, to other causes. And they maybe still live in really nice houses and drive nice cars, because they do live on 1% or 2% of their, 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 their uh, income, but they live far below their income, so they have all this extra to give. Which is why you can never judge somebody based on the car they drive or the house they live in. Not that you should be judging them anyways. But see, so it's, the problem is not the riches, it's, it's, it's the danger that comes with the riches. Which is why if you are good at making money, uh, and I, I'm not, that's not my gift, but if you are, don't feel guilty about that, that's a gift. That's a gift, like, like any other kind of gift. And the kingdom needs people who have that gift. Well, the hills could use more people who have that gift. You're welcome here, you know? But you've got to be careful because there's a deceptive quality to this. There's something about wealth and possessions that can suck you in. And the more you have, the more you think you, you need to have. The more you have, the more you tend to keep. And all the studies show that, too, that, that, that generally speaking, while there's wonderful exceptions, it tends to be the case that the more people have, the more they keep for themselves, the less they give. They give a greater amount, they give a greater amount because they've got more to give, but a smaller percentage. And yet it feels sacrificial to them because they're giving a greater amount compared to, to others. There's a deceptive quality that we need to be very, very aware of. And it's not just those rich people that need to hear this message. We always measure uh, the rich people by the f- 4 or 5% that's above us, uh, rather than the 95% of people on the globe who are be- beneath us. There are genuinely, uh, there are people struggling in poverty here at Wilderness Church and people struggling in poverty in our neighborhoods, and every year that increases. But it's still true that most people hearing this message in this auditorium and through podcasts today uh, are in that category. If you're middle or even lower middle class American, you're, you're probably living at three to four times the global standard of living, which means you are, by comparison, in the top 10, 5 to 10 percentile on the planet. You are wealthy by world standards, and you're certainly wealthy by historical standards. And so this is a message we all need to hear, uh, because most of us are in that category. And therefore, we have to be careful of the the deceptive quality of wealth, how it can pull us in. Uh, That that word for deceitfulness, it's apate. We get the word, as I mentioned before, we get the word appetite from it. But it doesn't just refer to hunger, it refers to a particular kind of hunger, a seductive hunger. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a hunger for something that tastes good, but is actually damaging to you. Or it's a hunger for something that looks filling, but actually makes you hungrier. Imagine sitting down at a giant gourmet meal, and it looks like you're going to be stuffed after this, but it, the more you eat, the hungrier you get. That's the kind of, that's appetite. Uh, it, it, it promises uh, satisfaction, but it never delivers on that. Um, It's deceptive. It promises all sorts of things that it cannot deliver. It actually ends up sucking life out of us. It ends up destroying us. It ends up depleting us. 
the apathe of, of wealth, it promises freedom, but it brings bondage. It promises life, but actually it sucks life out of us at every turn. Um, so instead of, instead of pursuing first the kingdom of God, we end up pursuing first our, 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 our economic improvement. Instead of living with contentment like God calls us to live, we live with perpetual discontentment. To the degree that we give in to this apathe, this deceptiveness, we're perpetually chasing after stuff. Instead of living with this outrageous generosity, we live increasingly by hoarding things, uh, with self-indulgent greed. Instead of having extra time and money to donate to others, we spend all of our time and money on ourselves. And even that, if we're giving into this consumeristic mindset, even that, we have trouble affording. Um, We're called to, 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 to be aware of this deceptive quality. And the fact that the average American, average Christian in America, lives three to four times the global standard, and yet the average person spends... 97% 97% of what they earn on themselves. About 3% is given to uh, uh, charity, to churches, and things like that. That is evidence that, we, that, that to a large degree we've succumbed to the deceptiveness of wealth. Uh, it feels very generous and feels normal to spend that much on ourselves. Uh, it feels normal. And so we feel generous giving that, that, that amount away. But if, if we look at it, if we zoom out from a kingdom's perspective and look at it from a global perspective, what's wrong with this picture? living far above the world standards, and yet having so much, most of it, 97% of it, we spend on ourselves. So this is the, the apate, the apate, the deceptiveness of wealth. What can we do to break that stronghold? So here I want to get very practical and, and chunk down. A couple of points I want to make. Number one is something that we see, it's review. I mentioned it last week, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get that message. It, it's about the paradigm that you live in. Because we talked about how it's so important that we live in a warfare paradigm rather than in a vacation paradigm, a vacation worldview. When you're on vacation, it's natural and okay to be self-indulgent, to look out for number one, to just have all the pleasure you can and comfort you can and avoid inconvenience as much as possible. That's normal on vacation, and we all need vacations. You pamper yourself. But when you're in the middle of a battle, that's not the way to live. When you're in the middle of a battle... What counts is furthering the warfare effort. Your, your, your personal comfort and convenience is not what's at stake. Uh, what needs to happen is, is we have to ration our resources for the wartime effort. And so all the earthly countries, as I showed last week, all the earthly countries and earthly battles understand that in a state of warfare, everything's got to be rationed. And so, folks, we, we need to, as, as God's children, uh, living in this warfare mindset, have to submit all that we have to Abba Father and ask, what is your rationing program? How much of this that I own, and yet it's not mine, it's yours, how much of this am I to spend on myself and my loved ones? And, and, and how much do you want me to enjoy? As opposed to how much do you want me to invest in the kingdom effort? We've got to be aware, very aware, that our, part of the deceptiveness of wealth in our culture, part of this antichrist dimension of consumerism is that it systematically conditions us to live and to think as though we're on vacation. That's what the American dream is all about. Get as much of the good life as you can now. Block out the problems of the world. Forget about those who are starving and all that. But you've got to have that new stereo system. You've got to have that new car. You've got to have the new this. The bigger, the faster, the brighter, the shinier, and all the rest. And, and that would be totally appropriate if this was a vacation world. If this was a Disney world, grab all the goods you can. But we are in the middle of a war zone. The New Testament tells us. 
that, that we're caught in the crossfire of this cosmic battle. Earth is like the Normandy beach of this cosmic battle. And we, as God's children, have a very important role to play in this. He's counting on us. We're, we're, we're soldiers stationed behind enemy-occupied territory, and we've got a job to do. Our Disney world is coming. Our vacation world is coming. Uh, it's not now. And so now is the time for us to be submitting all to Abba Father and saying, Captain, how should we ration these resources? What should go for the warfare effort? What should go for ourselves? I don't mean to toot our own horn here, but I want to illustrate something by just letting you know that the leadership of Woodland Hills Church takes this very seriously. Over the last five years especially, we've become aware of this, the difference between living in a vacation world on the one hand and living in a warfare worldview on the other hand. And um, we've taken very seriously the, the need to ration things. One trivial example is this. We used to have every department that used the camera had their own camera. Then we asked the question, why, why, why should that be? Uh, we can get by with one camera. Now, yes, it causes a little inconvenience, because now you might have to wait a day to use the camera. You have to put in requests and things like that. But, uh, you know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a war zone, you expect inconvenience. This isn't the time to be asking what's the most convenient. It's the time to be asking uh, uh, how do we get by with less. And so now we have one camera that's shared by the different departments. We're doing the same thing with our offices. We have, have decided that we want to be partnering with these different ministries because uh, we can do more out of relationship with others than we can do alone. And so we've, we've, we've just been downsizing uh, and doubling up, tripling up on our, our office spaces. I had a friend about 10 years ago. I hadn't seen this person for 30 years, uh, but she was in the area and visiting, and so she came to see me, and we met in my office. And... Um, when she was in my office, she was uh, very surprised at how modest it was. Uh, hearing that I was the pastor of a mega church, she assumed that um, I would have the kind of office that her pastor and her mega church has. Uh, and uh, she wanted to know where the walk-in closet was. Uh, her pastor's walk-in closet is bigger than my office. And um, her pastor has cherry oak wood imported from the Amazon. Sign of blessing. Where's my cherry oak wood from the Amazon? And uh, all the rest. And I was very, very happy to be able to explain to her why we don't do it that way. Not judging her pastor. I'm just saying that we don't do it that way here. But see, if she were to come back now, uh, 10 years later, uh, it would surprise her even more to find out that that office of mine uh, is now shared by three other pastors. <laughs> Uh, we, we can get by with that. We don't all need our own office. And, and so, see, what's happened is, is we're doubling up and tripling up because we're partnering with, with Catholic charities and offering space to them, and Rapid Rehousing, offering space to them, and the daycare center, offering space to them, and the food shelf, offering space to them, and, and, and the job training class, offering space to them. And now Project Homes is coming in, so we're offering space to them. Amen. Amen. See, if this was Disney World, if this was a vacation resort world, then it'd be totally appropriate to have your cherry oak and have a you know, walk-in closet and 10,000 shoes and, and, a, and a gold fountain out there with nice waters and chandeliers and all the rest. A wonderful, fine, groovy, hallelujah. But this isn't Disney World. This isn't a vacation resort. We're in a state of war. There's bombs going on, bullets going on, the people getting hit all over the place. It's not the time to be asking what's the luxury items. It's the time to be asking how does Abba Father want us to ration our resources for the warfare effort? And so we're doing that as a church, and I encourage us to be doing that individually with our, own, with our own finances and our own time. What belongs to us, what belongs to Abba Father, or how would he have us use it? A second thing I want to note here is this. Almost everything we do, we do out of habits. We're creatures of habit. 
And so to change our behavior means we've got to change our habits. Our spending is, is largely habitual. Um, we're, we're just used to it. And what drives habits is, is rewards. Um, every behavior we do, it's because there's a reward at the end of it. And, and the habits are just a habitual way of seeking after a reward. So if you're a smoker, you, you, uh, and there comes a point where you envision uh, the satisfaction you'll have getting rid of that craving by smoking that cigarette. If you're a drinker, you, you, you envision how relaxing it will be to get that drink. Or maybe it, how, how nice it will be to forget about your problems, whatever your motive is. There's something in it for you. There's a reward there. And it's the same thing with spending. You envision that new TV set. You envision that, that, that new Xbox or the new car or the new clothes. And, and that motivates you to go get it. Even if it means that you have to sacrifice a lot to get it, you do it because the reward is there. Uh, we're all, we're, there's always uh, something in it for us. Same thing with Christmas time, which is habitual spending on steroids. Uh, we do it because we're envisioning, oh, how, how our kids will react, or giving our kids something that we never had, or, or maybe, maybe it's simply a matter of uh, not uh, avoiding family conflict, because whenever you've tried to buck the consumeristic system on Christmas, you get pushback, and you're just tired of it. Whatever it is, there's a reward there. Now, see, if we're going to change our habits it really is most effective to change our rewards, to replace the reward. To not do that feels like sheer loss. And maybe you're saying, well, gosh, in the kingdom, we should just have sheer loss. We just sacrifice even if there's nothing in it for us. And there's a point to that, I suppose. But see, the kingdom has its own rewards, and they're beautiful. And we'll be much better at, at, at uh, changing our habitual way of living if we change our rewards, replace them with kingdom rewards. Now, this doesn't illustrate a kingdom reward, but it illustrates this principle I'm getting at. My dad was a, a four-pack-a-day smoker. He was just a chain smoker. I never saw him without a cigarette. He just went after the other. He always had a cigarette. And a lot of times he tried to quit. And he was miserable. <laughs> when he tried to quit, he was, or, he was always kind of ornery, but he got super, super, high, uber ornery when he was trying to quit smoking. I hated it when he was trying to quit smoking. It was nasty. And he never succeeded. He tried and then go back on it, tried and go back on it. But he finally hit upon a plan. The plan was this, and it has to do with rewards. See, um, he wanted a boat really bad. Our neighbors had a boat, and he had to have a boat. And, and my dad just loved toys and trinkets, and, and he, he was just kind of like that. Now, my stepmom was the opposite. She was a miser. They both went through the Depression and came out with opposite philosophies, and that made for a, an apocalyptic marriage. Uh, it was... Uh, <laughs> He wanted to buy, buy, buy because we might lose it. She wanted to save, save, save because we might not have it tomorrow. So, so she rationed everything. And I've shared this before. She rationed toilet paper. Before we have a bowel movement, we had to tell her about it. And she'd give us the requisite slices. <laughs> it, it, I'm serious. I'm totally serious. It was odd. So she didn't like the idea of a boat. He wanted a boat. But the one thing that she hated more than his spending was, was uh, his smoking. So they hit upon a deal. If he quit smoking, he could use the money that he spent smoking to buy the boat. And so that's what he did. And after a year and a half of putting all the money he spent for smoking into a separate bank account, he had his $1,900 and bought a boat, and there you have it. Uh, now see, here's the thing. When he would crave the cigarettes, he would just look at that bank account and then envision that boat. And he'd see the, the joy that was there, the fun that he was going to be having, and how nice it would be to be free from this, this, this uh, nicotine habit. Uh, and that drove him towards that. He changed the reward and, um, uh, and therefore was able to make this, this, this very significant change in his life. That is the essence of faith, folks. Faith is about a future vision, Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
It's about seeing the future as a substantial reality and then feeling this conviction uh, that, that longs for it and it drives you forward. And that's not a carnal thing. It's a life thing. In fact, it's a kingdom thing. It says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. For the joy set before him. Now, the joy wasn't the cross. That was nightmarishly terrible uh, suffering. The joy was what it produced. He saw thousands of, and millions of people coming into the kingdom because of this. And that motivated him to go through this suffering. You see, that was his reward. So also with us, uh, it, it's, it's so helpful to have a reward out there that you can see and, and see the good that your sacrifice will produce. Uh, ask the Spirit to help you envision those kids getting out of the gangs and, and having their life changed. Uh, the prisoners here in the gospel, envision the outcome of what you're sacrificing for, and it moves you in that direction. Shelly and I, at several points in our life, we've just been called to make significant investments in the kingdom. Um, and we don't have much of a cushion, so any extra giving we, we give has to come out of somewhere. We have to sacrifice something. Uh, and what I, I've done, there's a, a family we took on uh, a number of years ago. Uh, it, they were immigrants, and, and we, we just felt like we were supposed to help them get into some housing and, and start doing life and, and going to school and, and, and get citizenship and all the rest. And I just would envision the, this family becoming independent. I envision them getting out of the shelter and getting into a nice place. I, have, I, I dream the dream of, of them going to school and becoming all that they can be for the kingdom of God. And I envision them making impact in others and, and, and the joy that they would have and the joy that, that they, they, they'd bring to others. And see, that vision made the sacrifice easy. Uh, it, it, the bigger the, and more beautiful your vision, the smaller the sacrifice is. Because the truth is, the joy of giving dwarfs in significance the little momentary happiness of getting. Uh, the, the, there's a little happiness in getting the nice new trinkets and bigger and faster and shinier, but the joy of giving that up for the sake of something else, well, that, that folks, is, is what the kingdom's all about. And see, whereas the consumeristic spirit chokes the seed of the kingdom inside of us, the, the, the sowing seeds of, of generosity, it cultivates that, that, that seed. The more you do of that and the more you catch this vision and it drives you to make these sacrifices and you discover the joy of that, well, now Abba's father begins to be manifested in you. I mean, Abba's character begins to be manifested in you. And you'll find the joy and the peace and the love of God beginning to well up in you. You will become a different person by practicing, uh, by practicing Calvary. For the joy set before you, endure the suffering of giving up whatever God's calling you to give up. See the vision, all right? And, and let that be your reward and it will drive you. Uh, the final thing I want to say is this. Uh, it, it is very important to explore practical ways to move towards simplicity. And I don't have any formula on this. This is the kind of thing it's good to talk about with your family, your spouse, your friends. Explore ways to help one another. Uh, discover you know, ways of moving towards simplicity. Uh, the thing that I've been most impressed with is I mean, there's times where God makes a major change in what you know, on things you possess, whether it's going from two cars to one car or downsizing your house or whatever. But it's the million little things that sap money out of us and we don't even know it, that we need to wake up to. Uh, there's a lot of money that slips through the cracks that we're not even aware of. And explore ways of plugging those cracks. Uh, and it will freeze up resources for the kingdom. Like Shelly and I, uh, 10, 11 years ago, we moved in this old house in the city. And I had no idea that old houses in the wintertime suck up energy like you would not believe. It is absolutely, our, our, our heating expense like double, more than that, by moving into this house. 
And we discovered that by putting plastic on the windows during the wintertime, it really cuts down the loss of, of heat and therefore saves money. Practical stuff like that. There's these new light bulbs out there. They're so cool. Um, they use 10% of the energy of the ordinary light bulb, and they last 20 years. They cost more up front, but uh, we figured it out that they pay for themselves within a year, and after that, you got 19 years of sheer benefit. Uh, check that out. Uh, things like that. So we're replacing all the bulbs in our house with these, 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 these energy-saving bulbs. Uh, I, I, here's one huge one for Americans. Most people don't realize how much money they, they, they lose or they're spending on things like the, grabbing the Coke and the coffee on the way to work, on the way back from work, stopping at the restaurant, um, you know, how much we, we spend going to movies, how much we spend on alcohol, how much we spend on tobacco, all these little extra things. Um, they're, they're, they're just there, but we don't tabulate. It feels like a small thing every time we do it, but if you add it up over a month, it becomes quite significant. As kingdom people, God, God's okay with us having some extras. I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't have this, but we should know how much it is. And then submit it to Abba Father and say, does this conform to your rationing program? Uh, know where your money goes and then submit it to Abba Father. And just take a little account, just carry a book with you and write down every time you have one of these. I personally was shocked when I found out how much little stuff we just spend on this, that, and the other thing. And by cutting that in half, man, 75 bucks, freed up, right there. Uh, I want to end by, uh, I told you last week about these couples that have been coming to, these younger folks have been coming to Willow Hills Church because of the vision uh, of the kingdom that we preach here. And they're taking this and living it out in some radical ways, and it's beautiful. And we're going to be learning some stuff from these folks. I, I love what they're doing here. So I introduced you to Nicole last week. Oh, by the way, sorry for the, uh, for the botch up on the camera thing. Uh, last, sorry about that. I was, if you were here last week during the second service, there was, I, I was soundless for about five minutes. Bad, bad, bad. I wish I could promise it would never happen again, but I can't promise that, but we'll do our best. But anyways, Nicole uh, was here last week and uh, shared a little bit about her story. I asked her to come and uh, share a second part of her story about how she and John are learning how to uh, move towards simplicity. Uh, so, Nicole, would you come up here and share that good word with us? Preach it, girl. Bring it on. Thank you. Good morning. I'm Nicole Mitchell, and not that long ago, I lived this consumeristic lifestyle that Greg has been talking about, where I got caught up in this vicious cycle of having more and wanting more and having more and wanting more. And then I met my husband, and we had double the income, so we had double the fun in continuing our lifestyle of shopping, spending, and traveling as we pleased. But then our life circumstances changed. We found ourselves going from a double income to being unemployed, going from a three, large three-bedroom apartment to a single room in my parents' basement and with a new baby. And the crazy part is, is that we were so used to our way of life, kind of like this habit Greg was talking about, that we continued our lifestyle even knowing we didn't have any money coming in. So we lived off our savings and the generosity of my parents, and we kept telling ourselves, any day now, we'll get another great paying job, and we can continue our lifestyle any day now. But that job didn't come. So something had to change. This time around, we decided that no matter how little or how much we would make, we wanted to pursue a simple life so as to free up as much resources and money for the kingdom as possible. And two of the areas that we decided to simplify were the internet and TV. We decided for us that both of these were a luxury for the time we were at in life, and they weren't a necessity. And we also knew that by foregoing both of these, it would free up time and money that we could put towards kingdom work. 
And so this desire began to happen when we lived in that basement for a year. God met with us and started renewing that desire to join him in his kingdom work that he was doing around the world, to live for things bigger than ourselves. And we really began to catch that vision. And whereas before we didn't question anything, we just lived the way we wanted to live. Now, with this renewed hunger to join him in what he was doing, we began to question everything. So, it's now been two years that we've been without the internet and TV, and guess what? We've survived. We've made it. <laughs> but not only that, financially, it has freed up money that we would have otherwise spent. If the average cable and um, internet bill is about $150 a month, in the past 27 months, we have freed up about $4,000, which has allowed us to give money um, when we learn about needs that arise or ministries we want to support. But not only has it freed up money, it has freed up countless hours. There's this picture from when John and I lived in my parents' basement, and he and I are on the couch, both with laptops in our lap, and our daughter Mercy, who was several months old at the time, sitting on the floor by herself. And that picture captured what happened on a regular basis. And we realized then that we had our priorities mixed up. And we agreed that there was nothing on the internet or TV worth sacrificing the time we had with our kids. So, we are now on the other side of things, where we actually joke that if we had the TV or internet, we wouldn't know when we'd have time to watch it or use it. We're so busy. But we're finally busy doing things we're passionate about. Spending time with our kids, spending time with each other, teaching classes, being involved in a house church, investing in our neighborhood, and more. Things we feel that have kingdom value. Now that we live with less, we have more joy and more fulfillment than we've ever had before. And two of the things we've learned in this two-year journey is this. One, contentment is a choice, so choose to cultivate it today. I used to think contentment was when you attained so many material possessions or you made this certain income, but we've been there, and that's not the case. Contentment begins when you realize you have enough. And for the vast majority of us hearing this message today, we have enough. We have all of our basic necessities covered. We have loved ones and then some. So start being content today by realizing you have enough. The second thing is, is who we are is enough because our life is found in Christ and not our stuff or status. I used to, or this myth I used to believe was that having trumped being. So the more you had, the more worth you had. The less you had, the less worth you had. And that's a straight up lie. Having stuff does not fill us or give us purpose. And it can be nice to have things and enjoy them, but we don't derive our worth from them. Because we're made in the image of God, and because Jesus came to live for us and die for us, and because we are living and breathing right here today, shows in every way possible that we have incredible worth. So it doesn't matter if you have a flip phone, an iPhone, or no phone. You have incredible worth. It doesn't matter if you live in a studio or a mansion or in your parents' house. You have incredible worth. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher, a CEO, or a janitor. You have incredible worth. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or gender neutral. You have incredible worth. It doesn't matter if you're single, married, or divorced. You have incredible worth. And if we could just grasp these two truths that we can be content today by realizing we have enough and we are enough because our life, our worth, our identity is found in Christ, we would discover the life that we hunger for, a life that is characterized by joy 
and peace, fullness, generosity, and more. For it's in losing our life that we find it. Amen? Would you stand? Um, All you need, she just said it, uh, all you need is found right within you. You've got all the worth you're ever going to have right within you. Uh, All of God you're ever going to get is is within you. The life that you long for is within you. It's that seed. Our job is to cultivate it and to grow it. And we do that by decluttering our lives. Get rid of the thorns that choke that stuff. Amen? And, and, And watch it blossom. Uh, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come forward here, and if you're here to, this morning and have any need whatsoever, uh, come pray with these folks. Or if you want to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, come up here and tell these folks about it, and uh, uh, become part of the kingdom revolution that's, that's going on. As we leave here, I pray we do it as a people who are surrendered to Christ, submitted to Him, offering up everything to Him, seeking His will on how we ration His resources, uh, and doing it with a, a, a heart that wants to manifest His love, His generosity to all people at all times. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said one last time. Amen. Amen. God bless. Go out. Love on the world.